for the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson with another readout video from our free Wednesday Wake Up email newsletter to which you should subscribe for updates on the science and policy of climate change and so that we can reach you if we get deplatformed by some social media giant with an agenda. They are fact-checking us and that tells you that they know we're onto them. And indeed, this week we lead off with more shenanigans involving heat. This summer, the latest alarmist gotcha was supposedly the unprecedented heat in the summer of 2023 afflicting the United States. Except it didn't happen, as shown by a map of temperatures compared to seasonal norms for the 60 days leading up to August 7th that we got courtesy of Joe Bastardi. Yes, it's been colder than normal across most of the U.S., which didn't stop journalists from shrieking about the heat and wondering where their audience went. Mind you, Statista, in an unguarded moment, tells us that, quote, heat islands have city dwellers swelter in a concrete jungle, end quote, because, the story says, quote, 41 million Americans in 44 major cities, the equivalent of around half of these cities' populations, habitually see outside temperatures in their census tracts rise by an average of more than 8 degrees Fahrenheit above those in surrounding areas, end quote. And this is a serious health issue, to be sure. But here's the thing. Does it occur to any of the people who do notice this factor to say, gosh, if we want to know if there's global warming, we really better be sure that we're measuring temperatures outside these local urban hotspots full of cement and asphalt? Heck no. NBC even had the urban heat island story, but they didn't connect the dots. Instead, they shrilled that, quote, in Europe, where cities in Spain, France, and Italy broke records for high temperatures this week, the extreme heat is expected to continue into the weekend. On Sunday, temperatures in Athens, Greece are forecast to reach 108 degrees Fahrenheit, and Italia, Turkey, is expected to reach 111 degrees Fahrenheit. In its most recent assessment, the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, IPCC, found with virtual certainty that the changing patterns of extreme heat are driven mainly by excess greenhouse gases trapping heat in the atmosphere, a phenomenon that has caused recent anthropogenic global warming, end quote. Except, if you measure it in places that were rural in the 1960s and still are, instead of in urban agglomerations of over 2.5 million people, that's Italia, Turkey, or 3 million, that's Athens, Greece, you find that the heat-trapping properties of asphalt and cement are hugely important. Especially if you don't mention that very often temperatures are measured not just in big and growing cities, but at their big and growing airports. Seriously. If you were assigned to find a place that would definitely distort readings upward, anywhere in a city, could you find a better spot than the airport? With the tarmacs and the roaring jet engines? But that's where they do it, and then they say, gotcha. And speaking of gotcha, another major story was the tragic wildfires that swept the iconic Hawaiian island of Maui, and were promptly fanned into the usual global crisis by the usual suspects. None of whom, you'll notice, predicted these fires ahead of time, any more than they did the Canadian ones that were very trendy a month ago, or the ones in Greece that they also pounced on once they happened, while ignoring other considerations including arson. And when I say they didn't predict them, it doesn't count that they predict fire everywhere, because then they point to the places that actually burn, but can't explain why, for instance, and not irrelevant, most of the United States is actually experiencing a very quiet fire season. Nor can they explain why the overall planetary wildfire trend is downward and has been for decades if global warming causes more fires. 
Nor, surely, can anyone sensible blame CO2 for the fact that the government warning sirens weren't activated as the flames approached the town of Lahaina, or the water authorities there delaying permission to divert stream water to refill reservoirs until after the fires were out of control, or the chief of the Maui Emergency Management Agency abruptly resigning for health reasons. As Cliff Mass explained, and hat tip to Judith Curry for directing our attention to it, regarding Maui, quote, the origin of this disaster is now becoming clear. Massive amounts of dry, dead fuel, mainly grass, strong downslope winds produced by strong trades interacting with local mountains, and human ignition, most probably from power lines, end quote. As Mass also noted, quote, there's been a lot of talk in the media about drought and even flash drought driven by climate change, end quote. But he added that what produced this bumper crop of dry grass was actually an especially wet winter, plus invasive grass species that flourish in the increasing amount of abandoned agricultural land on Maui. One NBC story did even note the paradox that these invasive species were often introduced to the Hawaiian Islands specifically to fight drought. But they add, quote, this strategy, experts say, has backfired, end quote, because these grasses pile up fire load and they recover faster than native plants. So, of course, one expert told them, quote, wildfires becoming increasingly more common with climate change leave permanent impacts on the land. With climate change, he said, we're only going to see more of this kind of extreme weather, end quote. Except in all the places where we see less of it. And now, I'm going to interrupt myself briefly to ask you please to help support our work. Because here at the Climate Discussion Nexus, we don't get lavish government grants, we don't get big foundation money, and contrary to what our critics say, we're not in the pocket of the Koch brothers. We're dependent on our viewers and our readers to make a pledge, one time or monthly, big or small, just click here, a cup of coffee a month, that's what it takes to help us keep producing these videos and our newsletter and pushing back against the climate alarmist steamroller. And now, back to me. In the newsletter, we also shared the BBC weather forecast for July 12, 1999, which might seem eccentric, but the point is, temperatures that were meant to reach 29 degrees Celsius were then shown as orange on the map and described as, quote, one more day of fine and dry weather, end quote. Whereas in the August 9th, 2023 GB News headline, the same or lower temperatures were shown as blazing red under headline, quote, scorching 28 Celsius heat to smash Britain as maps turn red, end quote. Smash? Britain was smashed? Behold the man-made climate crisis. And another thing. Cornered by a reporter on whether he was prepared to declare a climate emergency, U.S. President Joe Biden babbled that, quote, we've already done that, end quote, which he hasn't. The Washington Post restricted itself to paraphrasing his gibberish, and the Weather Channel posted four key moments rather than the full interview because they really didn't want to share with us Biden's claim that, quote, we've passed a $368 billion climate control facility, end quote, lest readers suspect that the real emergency in Washington is an incapacitated president with a vice president who's too flaky to be allowed into the top job. Meanwhile, Canada's Captain Carbon was at it again, flying his family to BC's west coast in his huge Airbus, then taking his whole cabinet to Prince Edward Island, over 5,500 kilometers away, for a three-day retreat where they will, drumroll please, discuss fighting climate change. Also, in keeping with the old joke about losing money on every sale but making it up in volume, 
The latest Canadian government subsidy to that dynamo of innovation, the Ford Motor Company, to make products no one wants, means that the total from Ottawa for electric vehicle components has now reached $32 billion, which Blacklock's reporter notes is, quote, twice the annual output of the entire Canadian auto sector, end quote. Industry Minister François-Philippe Communism gushed that, quote, it's pretty remarkable what we have achieved in just a few months, end quote. Yes, it is, just not in a good way. In the newsletter, we return to the growing disconnect between climate alarmist rhetoric and real people's experience. Judith Curry scoffed, quote, Wow, global boiling is even more alarming than code red. I wonder who comes up with this stuff for Guterres, end quote. But what's really interesting is how the press uncritically repeats and amplifies it. Like MSN blaring, quote, Heat records this summer are challenging the limits of human survival, end quote, when the vast majority of affected humans including the writer and their friends, are surviving without trouble, partly by taking vacation breaks in places that are warmer than where they live. Then there's the New York Times, and thanks to Mark Morano for pointing out this one, yelling, quote, Is this the end of the summer vacation as we know it? This year, everything from scorching heat to fires, floods, tornadoes, and hailstorms driven by climate change have disrupted the plans of travelers around the world, end quote. And yet, people are vacationing more than ever, including, we dare say, the time zone staff. In the newsletter, we also lampooned the Canadian government for producing yet another thingy that claims to be a plan to reach some virtuous climate goal. But, despite the soporifically plausible prose, documents like these draft clean electricity regulations are not based on probabilities that are known to be reasonable through real-world experience, nor do they describe actions of a sort that the state has shown an aptitude for performing. For instance, tripling electric power generation within 12 years, or even holding an open-minded public consultation since they've already reached their conclusions and now they're just asking us to agree that they make sense. In the newsletter, we also failed to detonate. We took note of the eruption of the Hunga Tonga Hunga Haiapi volcano on January 15th last year. It's the most violent eruption in the modern instrument era, and we declared that it definitely had a dramatic climate impact, unless it didn't. As Roger Pielke Jr. commented on August 8th, quote, almost all the research that will be done on its effects on climate hasn't been done yet, end quote. And that's important. Because volcanic eruptions, and they're more powerful even than hydrogen bombs, are noted for their climate impact, including Mount Pinatubo in 1991, which seems to have cooled the climate for several years. Yes, cooled. Most eruptions have a cooling effect because of the sulfur and the aerosols that they inject into the atmosphere. Now, Hunga Tonga was bigger than Pinatubo. It's been, it was bigger than anything since Krakatoa blew in 1883, and Krakatoa again cooled the planet by perhaps half a degree or more for months. But Hunga Tonga was also different because its primary effect was to add vast amounts of water vapor to the atmosphere, partly because it happened 150 meters beneath the surface of the sea and nevertheless managed to blow things sky high. And water vapor is, as any climate alarmist politician, activist, or journalist probably doesn't know, the most potent greenhouse gas by far. Yep. In fact, the generalized panic over CO2 relies overwhelmingly on a so-called amplification mechanism, where a small warming from the dreaded carbon pollution in turn causes more evaporation to raise the amount of water in the air, and that's what's meant to trigger climate breakdown boiling, if in fact it happens. And... Hunga Tonga skipped that step and just pumped the water in directly, adding perhaps as much as 10% to the normal load of water vapor, 
or maybe 30% climate being far from an exact science in real life. So, it would be easy for us, and it would be in the alarmist spirit, to swoop, to go, yeah, that's what caused the heat this summer, it's all absolutely certain. Instead, we're going to say, again, that climate is very complicated. Its feedback mechanisms are transcomputable, and so we should urgently rush to wait and see. And we'd like to add that alarmists might usefully do the same, except it wouldn't be very alarming, now would it? In the newsletter, we also took a trip down memory lane, because in February and March of 2022, we ran a series summarizing a scientific paper by a team of Italian scientists led by Gianluca Alamonti, which presented a review of data on extreme weather and found little evidence of upward trends in most types of natural disaster. This paper inevitably ran afoul of the climate censors, who mounted a media campaign to get the journal to retract it, even though they couldn't identify anything scientifically wrong with the paper. The journals asked the authors to add more data, which they did. And then, even though most new reviewers praised the revised article's quality, the journal caved into the bullies and announced that the whole thing would be retracted. Partly because one reviewer who admitted the paper was correct warned, quote, think of the implications of publishing it, end quote. Well, we say, think of the implications of not publishing it, and especially of not publishing it on the explicit grounds that ignorance is strength. And so we reran our item on that paper's findings on hurricanes. They grab a lot of attention, of course, because they grab people's roofs, and they play a central role in debates about climate change policy. One routinely encounters claims such as, quote, we are seeing more hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, and other natural disasters because of climate change, end quote. But actually, to date, the paper said, quote, global observations do not show any significant trends in both the number and the energy accumulated by hurricanes, as shown in figure one, and as claimed in several specific papers for the USA, which report the trend dating back to over 160 years ago or for other regions of the globe, end quote. But the public apparently must not be told. We tell you anyway. We also return to the topic of a summary series that we ran this summer on the Clintel Report on the IPCC's 6th Assessment Report because report co-author Marcel Kroc also included a chapter tracing how scientific language that was more or less accurate in the body of the Working Group 1, that's the Physical Science Report, got twisted in the summary for policymakers and then distorted out of all recognition in the Working Group 2, which is Social Impacts Report. And it's an important reminder that the IPCC isn't one group. It's many groups that increasingly don't even talk to each other. So just because one group occasionally gets something right doesn't mean that the IPCC as a whole can be trusted. Finally, we return to the CO2Science.org archive for a look at whether the swings in climate in tropical areas due to changes in sea surface temperature, which is SST to insiders, driven by the El Nino Southern Oscillation, which is ENSO, or ENSO to the insiders, are also found outside the tropics. According to this study, it doesn't really seem that they are. For the Climate Discussion Nexus, I'm John Robson, and I know whether it's hot out. (music) 